just just such a lovely gentle presence of the Lord this morning. Isn't it? It's just delightful. It's gentle, it's loving, it's friendly, it's sunshine. No, I'm quite Hallelujah. Get a bit excited. <laughs> you might you might like to um, open your Bible at Mark chapter ten again because we're going to look at the second part. Can you hear me all right? Yes. The second part of that passage. And if you recall, um, the, the first part we had the, the context of the story with Jesus walking along the road on his way to Jerusalem in the first part, and then we had the incident with James and John um, from 32 to 30, no, the 35 to 34. But then this time I want to look at the passage about blind Bartimaeus, which starts in verse 46. And as you read through that chapter, this, there seems to be absolutely no gap between the two. The, the, the scriptures just launch straight in. So this is where you, you can have a little bit of, um, um, shall we say, anointed imagination on <laughs> what's going on in between. But this one does really seem to be completely different from the first part. But there are elements in common because you've got raw humanity. You've got raw humanity in two totally different forms. These bold, brave, courageous men, or whatever way you might like to describe them, and then you've got a beggar. But in each case, humanity is facing the glory of the Son of God in the flesh. So there's a great deal about human nature that emerges, and we talked about a lot about that with James and John the last week's story. But we also get a lovely picture of God's grace and mercy. And so this next part of the chapter is so much more than a simple story of a blind man who gets his eyesight. There's a whole lot more to it than that. It's much, much deeper than that. So let's launch into it. Well, there's still a crowd walking along with Jesus. And of course the disciples are there and possibly some of the women because you know there were quite a few women who who um, went around with the disciples as well. There'd be the usual crowd of people who were curious to hear what Jesus would say. Some may be already persuaded that he was who he said he was. There probably would also have been some religious and political men looking for a chance to catch him out. They were looking to find a way to arrest him, get rid of this man, he was a nuisance. And there would also likely have been a rabble of beggars, homeless, destitute, sick, pe sick people longing for a chance to see this man. Even, hopefully, to touch him. And remember that story of the woman with the issue? She was so desperate. She probably crawled through the legs of the people around. Mm -hmm. She was so desperate to get to see Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I think if I was in that situation, I'd be doing pretty much the same too just to get a touch and you knew who this man was. You heard stories about what he did. At this time in, in Jewish history, there were very large numbers of beggars and other people in seemingly hopeless situations. They'd be hanging around on the roadside looking for help. They were despised, unacceptable in society, unclean, unwanted, rejected. Every day, 
they'd be hoping beyond hope that someone would take pity on them, give them a bit of food, give them a coin or two. And in, in biblical days, if you were sick, you were lame, or you were blind, it was very often seen as a curse. And a lot of people thought that God had simply rejected you. If that's it's got to be your fault, you did something. And God's not interested in you anymore. Yep, yep, superstition. These people had absolutely no way to support themselves. But the blind, in particular, were given cloaks. And these special cloaks gave them legal permission to actually be. Now this cloak, which was often the beggar's one and only possession, as well as their only source of income, defined them and identified them to the world. You see somebody with one of those cloaks? You know, he's a blind beggar. That meant that for Bartimaeus, his cloak was so much more than just a cloak. It represented a way of life. It represented how he had learned to cope and survive in an existence totally devoid of intimacy, connection, kindness, or even basic care. He was a beggar. And for all we know, he could well have been a highly manipulative, cunning beggar <laughs> who knew how to take advantage of people and get what he wanted without actually making any connections or commitments. We just don't know. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was a good guy. <laughs> now, whatever the circumstances, he did not have an easy life. Surviving was a constant struggle, a battle. Instead of real relationships with real people, Bartimaeus had a cloak. It kept him warm. Now, it wasn't the warmth of hearth and home, but it was enough to survive and to endure. More importantly, if he chose to, he could hide in his cloak, staying completely isolated, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Now, quite likely, he didn't want to be seen most of the time because life was really cruel for a beggar, and particularly for a blind beggar. His cloak could well have been the closest thing he had to a friend. Now just think about that. That's awful. Circumstances of life would not have given him anything remotely like comfort or nurture from people who would love him. Did such people even exist? Probably not. In his cloak, he could perhaps find fleeting moments of comfort and safety. Think about this too. He would have been in this situation for years. Years and years. Maybe even born blind, we don't know that. Whatever the case, over time, that cloak would have been filthy, stinking, totally disgusting. 
didn't have laundries for beggars in those days. But because he would have had heightened hearing as blind people do, Bartimaeus would have heard an awful lot of conversations going on as people went walking by. And on this occasion, he liked what he was hearing. After years of being neglected, possibly abused every day by people going by, humiliated by life circumstances, now suddenly there was a tiny spark of hope. Maybe. Maybe. He started to get a bit excited when he heard that Jesus was coming along the road. And when Jesus did come, Bartimaeus was determined not to let that opportunity go by. He called out not once, but twice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now people tried to quieten him. As you read the verses there, people tried to quieten him. But Bartimaeus had a yearning in his heart for something better. I mean, come on, wouldn't you? (laughs) There was just this one chance, however slight, that Jesus could give him back his life. It was worth the effort of persisting. (coughs) And he wasn't going to meekly give up because he might never get this chance again. There was something about this man called Jesus that was different. And Bartimaeus was starting to get a little bit excited. He wasn't going to be silenced. He called Jesus son of David. He was hoping, perhaps, that this could be the Messiah. Could be. Could be. Now, he didn't have a great deal of tact, but he certainly had persistence and determination. People tried to discourage him, push him aside, but they couldn't really because he determined he wanted a touch from Jesus. His cry was so much more than just a simple request to get his eyesight. He's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And that's coming from deep, deep, deep down inside him. He wasn't put off by the others telling him to be quiet. He persisted. He made himself vulnerable. He risked more mocking, more rejection. He risked being pushed out of the way as an absolutely useless nobody. Apparently he decided that he had nothing more to lose. He was ready to risk it all. That tells me Bartimaeus was aware that he actually needed something much more than physical healing. The blind man knew what he needed from Jesus and it was mercy. He didn't come thinking God owed him anything. All he wanted from Jesus was mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. He knew what he wanted, and he was determined to do everything he could to get it. So he was demonstrating Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of Heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. Now how desperate are our prayers? And James 5, in the Amplified it says, The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man 
can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. And Bartimaeus' very simple little prayer is illustration of that. Son of David, have mercy. And then if you look at verse 49 and 50, this is where things get really powerful. Jesus stopped and he said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your face, feet, oops, on your face, on your feet. <laughs> He's calling you. Now, what about verse 50? Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. First of all, notice that Jesus heard his cry in the middle of the noise and the racket around him. People clamoring for attention, people talking, shouting all around, but Jesus heard that one voice and he said, call him. In the middle of all the noise and the clamor, the gentle, loving spirit of Jesus reaches out to the cry of a solitary, needy heart. And this is just the same way he had responded to Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Again, there was a clamoring crowd. Zacchaeus had wanted to see this Jesus, but he couldn't because of the crowd. But again, Jesus picked him out in the middle of a huge crowd. Even though Zacchaeus didn't physically call to Jesus, his heart did. And Jesus heard. What a beautiful picture of a gentle, loving God who knows the depths of your heart and who longs to connect with us. The Lord's heart is always attuned to the cry of the bruised reed or the smouldering wick of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 42. I want to read this to you. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit in him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. We might like to think of Bartimaeus and his filthy, stinking cloak as a bit like a crushed reed. Trampled, deeply hurt by circumstances, <coughs> excuse me, and the unkindness of people. His life somehow bent and bruised and shattered without strength or beauty. Now there's absolutely nothing attractive about a reed. And there's certainly nothing very pleasant about the circumstances in which it lives. It usually grows in a smelly, unsavory swamp. Bartimaeus was not a pretty sight. There but for the grace of God. Let's not ever think that God deals roughly with anyone, however rotten their circumstances. Instead, he treats each one of us gently, tenderly, helping us until the bruised reed is strong and the smouldering wick is in full flame again. 
and there's another similarity to the Zacchaeus story. The response from Bartimaeus was instant, just as Zacchaeus had been. <coughs> That's the powerful message of verse 50. When Jesus responded favorably, he threw his cloak aside, jumped to his feet, and came to Jesus. His response was immediate, uninhibited, throwing aside all sensible approaches. He simply leaps up and runs. And remember, this man's blind. He has no idea what's between him and Jesus. But he runs towards that voice. There could be people in the way. There could be stones and rocks on the path. There could be all sorts of things here. But he just gets up and runs. How remarkable. He leaps up. And in doing so, he throws his coat aside. He just throws it off. He could well have been totally naked underneath. Even before Jesus touches him. His desire for mercy is so intense, so deep, that it overflows and overpowers all his usual strategies for survival. He wants to get to Jesus and nothing is going to stop him. He wants to be well. He desperately wants to be whole. And somewhere, somewhere in his heart, he senses that Jesus is the answer. Now, as he was throwing off his cloak, he was, in fact, totally casting off his old way of life. It was an enormous step of faith. But Bartimaeus had something in his heart that said it was worth the risk. He threw off his comfort zone. Ouch. He laid aside his old identity. He was done being defined as a beggar. This was life or death, sink or swim time. Either he was going to be healed or he'd have nothing. Literally. His faith was totally remarkable. He was so desperate for change. He ran to Jesus, clinging to that hope of a miracle. He cast away everything, everything that might in any way hinder him in coming to Christ or to slow his movements. And wow, what a lesson that is for us. Then again there comes this glorious invitation. What do you want me to do for you? Did it again. What do you want me to do for you? I mean, Jesus knew. Bartimaeus replied, Rabbi, I want to see. For sure, Bartimaeus was asking to be able to see physically. Obviously, he's blind. What's his eyesight? But his plea was for something much bigger than physical healing. Much, much more than eyesight. As I mentioned before, we don't know if he was born blind or he'd suffered some illness that had taken his eyesight. But whatever the situation was, his current life was just dreadful. This was about getting his life back. In fact, getting a life. Remember last week, we looked at the boldness of James and John chasing after status and significance in the kingdom. 
in Jesus' gentle but firm reminder that life in God's kingdom is about service. Well, here in Bartimaeus' story, we also have an example of genuine boldness, that puts part, but it's completely different. Here was a man in dire straits, abject poverty, rejected by society, deprived by circumstances of everything and anything that makes life livable. To say he was needy would be an insult. Gross understatement. He acknowledges his need in deepest humility. And in contrast to the two disciples who sought advancement for themselves, Bartimaeus has absolutely nothing to offer. And willingly threw away what little he did have to come naked, probably physically naked as well as spiritually naked, before the Lord. And that reminded me, because I'm old enough to remember Billy Graham and George Beverly O'Shea. <laughs> remember the hymn? You're just as I am. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt, I love the old English, thou wilt receive, <laughs> wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. As if you want to sing it, hold on, we're going to sing it at the end. <laughs> It is Bartimaeus' faith that distinguishes his story from that of James and John. So remember all Robbie's messages on faith? Here it was the blind man's faith that was determined to reach Jesus. He clung desperately to his belief that Jesus was who he claimed to be. In verse 47 and 48, if you're looking back, it says, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Even though Jesus knew full well what the man needed, he still asked, what do you want me to do for you? And as in so many other instances through the gospel, Jesus responds immediately. Your faith has healed you. How wonderful. No lecture or lesson about approaching God and trusting Him or anything like that, but just a simple go, your faith has made you whole. The second part of verse 52 simply says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. <laughs> no messing about. No lectures. No what's wrong with you. Just you ha your faith has made you whole. Go on your way. That's a bit like the dirty, stinking prodigal immediately embraced by his father. Bartimaeus was accepted completely, even though he hadn't yet, had, hadn't yet been sent home to clean up, as if he could. I mean, he probably didn't even have a home to go to anyway. But just as the James and John incident at the beginning of the chapter had real implications for you and me and applications for you and me, and offered challenges regarding our understanding of the Lord, so it is with the Bartimaeus story. If you're anything like me, and you probably don't want to have to admit it, 
But I imagine we can actually relate to Bartimaeus's cloak. Sometimes it feels safer to isolate and self-protect rather than surrender ourselves totally into the hands of the living God. And there's an element here of what Wendy was sharing about being vulnerable with one another as well. Sometimes it's easier to be busy, it's easier to hide, it's easier to not let ourselves be vulnerable. I don't want my friends to know that I struggle with that. Yet the glorious invitation Jesus offered to, first of all to James and John and then to Bartimaeus is equally offered to each one of you and me. Each one of us. He desires to heal every rupture, to restore true intimacy and eternal communion with him and with each other in a way that will satisfy every ache and longing of our heart. You know, even though it's true that there is no human being on earth who can satisfy the deepest, deepest longing of my heart. There is still a part of my heart that you people can only meet. We desperately need one another. And we, obviously, we, we need to have Jesus because he alone can fill that deepest, deepest part. So if we're really being honest again, we all actually want, I hope, some form of healing from the Lord, whatever it is. Physical, relational, financial, spiritual, whatever. And what's more, in a sense, we may well all have a cloak representing something in our life that hinders us from living the fullness of life that Jesus won for us on Calvary. It might only be a tiny wee one. Or it might be a big one. However, that, whatever that cloak might be, it can hold us back because it's likely to be very comfortable and it's likely to make us feel safe. It's very quiet. <laughs> As is so often the case, <laughs> I'm talking to myself here too. Now, Bartimaeus' story really is, a, it, it really is a message for receiving salvation, but it's also a message for the rest of us, those of us who already know the Lord. We must cast away the garment of our own self-sufficiency and comfort, free ourselves from any weight or hindrance. Hebrews 12.2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Bartimaeus is a brilliant example, isn't he? A great witness. So let's just take a few minutes now to open our hearts 
to this gracious Lord and Saviour. Let Holy Spirit speak to our, to our hearts. He's here. He's been here all morning in the most beautiful way. And it's not about rebuke. It's not about anything other than just resting and letting him be whoever he wants to be for us. Whatever my coat looks like, whatever your coat looks like, let's throw it off, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I'd like us to sing through the hymn. I've got three verses up there. Oh, thank you. And, and as, 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 we, as we sing through this, make it prayer. We have we have a loving, gentle, loving father who is saying to us, What do you want me to do for you? Tell him. Tell him what you want him to do for you. Surrender everything to him. It's worth it. It's worth giving up everything. It's worth risking everything to receive what it is the Lord has for us. So let's just sing this very softly. And let the Holy Spirit do what Holy Spirit wants to do.
you need to do a little saying something to you about what where you need. Don't be ashamed to do that. It's uh, it's who we are. We love one another. We care for one another.
touched with us. Thank you for touching each and every one of our hearts. Oh, Holy Spirit, continue to do your work amongst us. Day and night, Lord, day and night, work amongst us. Fill us, refresh us, renew us. And Lord, draw us together. Draw us together. We talk about family, Lord. Let us be family to one another. Oh, Jesus, only you can do that, Lord. And we call on you. Change our hearts, Lord, change our hearts. Oh, bring us into everything that you have destined for us. Lord, the glorious promises you keep giving us. We know, we know, we know. Oh, God, we know. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, God. So, Lord, I just, I just speak a blessing over every single person here this morning. Blessing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Rise up to be everything that the Lord has created you to be. <laughs> be free. Be free in the Lord. Be free in the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, 